Hey, thanks for downloading this week's podcast from Relevant Church. We are so thrilled and excited to see what God has planned for your life through this message. We know you're going to enjoy it. Sit back, relax. God bless. Well, do me a favor. Turn in your Bibles to uh, 2 Samuel chapter 9. That's where we'll be this morning um, for some minutes. And uh, yeah. Our friends down under love you guys. It's pretty, it's pretty wild. I was down there and uh, somebody randomly came up to my wife and was like, uh, so we've been checking out you guys' uh, website and some of the stuff you guys are doing. It's so awesome. Well, they say awesome, so awesome. It's like they say awesome. And I'm like, wow, it really does sound awesome when you say awesome. <laughs> but um, uh, yeah, we, it's so good to be around other Believers who are not only uh, doing their thing in their context, but are also somehow connected to us and still uh, supporting and loving on us over here. So I send, I bring greetings from from them and love from them to you guys, and uh, and uh, can't wait for you all to go with me next year. Who wants to go with me next year? Seriously, all right. I'm not even joking. Like like right now, start saving money, okay. And uh, next year, we are going to go again. I told Paul, Paul, Pauline, after the conference was over, she kind of looked at me, and I was like, yeah, we're coming next year. You're coming with the baby. That's right. Um, uh, it's going to happen. And so it's, a, it's one of those experiences that you just got to be a part of. And uh, folks that, are, that we're connected with over there are so welcoming, so loving, and they'd love to um, uh, get the relevant experience right there. So you got to come with me. Is that all right with you? All right. All right, 2 Samuel chapter 9, we're in this uh, series, we're talking about revival, the revival of the soul, and, uh, and uh, today I want to talk about revival from a different perspective, and so if you're there, say amen. amen. All right, let's, uh, let's jump in, I'll pray, and then we'll jump right in. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word, I thank you that it is alive, that it changes us, that, that your word brings us so much hope so much joy, so much peace, and, and that you take us from, from where we are to where you are, Lord. Not because we're able to get where you are, but only because your hand extends down and pulls us up. So this morning, Lord, may you pull us up to where you are. And God, as you bless us here at Relevant Church, I ask that you bless all the other great churches in Riverside, throughout the Inland Empire, Lord. We just ask that you or your spirit would fall on this place so that revival can take place in this region. In Jesus' name I pray, and everyone says, amen. amen. So 2 Samuel chapter 9, uh, 13 verses that are just amazing, that, that really... Uh, Teach us the heart of God's grace. And it, it reads like this. It says, And David said, Is there anyone left in the house of Saul that I may show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant in the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. And they called him to, to David. And, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there not still someone in the house of Saul that I might show kindness of God to him? And Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. Everyone say he's crippled. He's lame. He's broken. And in verse 4, the king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, he is in the house of Micar, the son of Amiel in Lodabar. 
uh, Lodabar is, is a Hebrew word meaning no pasture, no green pastures. Uh, sometimes God finds you in Lodabar. And, and for some of us, God found us while we were low and at the bar. So it kind of works out the same way. See, it's right there in the Bible. That's where he found you, in Lodabar. <laughs> Verse 5, Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Machir, uh, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan, and I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, what is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, all that belonged to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson, and you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring him the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, should always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, according to all that my lord the king commands his servant, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. He ate at the king's table as one of this king's sons. Isn't that good news right there? He ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. He came there saying, I am your servant. I just want to serve you. I just want to be a servant in your house. But, but David says to him, no, you will eat at my table like one of my sons. Sort of like the prodigal son when he was on his way back. He said, if I can only come to my father's house as a servant. But his father welcomes him back as a son. Isn't that good news right there? And Mephibosheth, verse 12, had a young son whose name was Micah, and all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both of his feet. Have you ever found yourself in a place where you were questioning, uh, how did I get here? I mean, things were so good. I mean, the breeze was hitting your face perfectly. The water was just the right temperature. The sun was not too blazing hot. It was perfect. And you just kind of soaked it all in and you said to yourself, how did I get here? Have you ever been in a place where, 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 where you're laying in bed and, 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 and it's the middle of the night and you roll over and you look over and you see that she's still there and you look at her face and she's still sleeping and you look and, and you pinch yourself and say, how did I get here? So, sometimes I believe that's just kind of healthy for your marriage, you know. Amen. Because when, when you look at yourself, when you, when you uh, know what you bring to the table, you just kind of say, wow, how did this happen? How did this moment of, of grace, this moment of paradise, this perfect place that I'm in, how did I, I arrive here? I believe that, that when you take the moment to, to awaken yourself to the realization that the place that you're in is a place that you couldn't have got by your own merit, is the moment that you start realizing the power of God's revival in your life. You know, sometimes 
We, we, we develop a, a mentality of entitlement that says that I, I'm here because, well, I've always been here and that's how things are. And, and you see people who, who, who kind of wane in their intensity. It might be the athlete who forgets how they got all the medals, all the rings, and, and their, their performance starts uh, waning and becoming weak, and, and they forgot how they got there, and intensity is lost. It's sort of like that Christian who becomes entitled in their place of grace. And so all of a sudden, because they've forgotten how they got there, their relationship and their experience with the Lord is common. It's usual. It's ordinary. And so the, the whole intensity of, of wanting to share this good news, this great experience that you've had with Jesus becomes like, oh, why should I do it? Because I'm supposed to be here. I'm entitled to it because it's become ordinary. It's become common. story that we just read is, is, is a story of, of grace acted out. It's a story of you and I. It's a story of how, how Jesus brought us into this place of grace. David remembers his covenant. The text says that, and David said, is there still anyone left in the house of Saul? What is really, he's really saying is he's echoing the same words that God uh, echoed when, when he says, and, and God remembered the, the covenant that he had made with Abraham, with Jacob, when he decided to deliver his, his children, of, the children of Israel out of Egypt. He remembered a promise that he had made with somebody. David, at this point, it's been 10 years that he's been reigning as king, and he remembers the covenant that he made with his friend Jonathan. In 1 Samuel chapter 18 and chapter 20, you'll see in ch- chapter 18, uh, verse 1, that, that David and Jonathan loved each other. They were, they were bonded, they were knit in their hearts with each other, and, and they made covenant with each other and made promises that they'll take care of one another. If, should one perish, should one uh, no longer be around, that, that the, the one who is surviving would make sure that the affairs of their household would be taken care of. And so 10 years have passed since Jonathan has passed. 10 years have passed since David has experienced the splendor of being king and he remembers, I made a covenant with Jonathan. He doesn't remember, he doesn't even know of Mephibosheth. All he remembers is the covenant that he made with Jonathan. And so he brings up the question, is there anyone left in the house of Saul that I might show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? The word kindness there is is the Hebrew word hesed, which is one of the hardest words to really put into human language because we don't really understand hesed. The economy of our world is not based around hesed. Hesed is the... uh, indescribable richness of God's mercy and grace towards us that brings us from a place of desolation into a place of splendor in his household. It is grace. It is grace upon grace. He says, is there someone that I can show has said to that is still surviving? And so Ziba says, well, there's one guy He's in Lodabar. Lodabar was, was an arid place. It was a dry place. 
And, and he goes on and says, uh, the, the one person that's, that's left is, is, a, is a guy by the name of Mephibosheth. But, but, but King, you, you have to understand, he, he's lame. He, he's, he's a broken person. He's, he's crippled. He's disregarded. He's not one of those people that you want to bring into your courts. As a matter of fact, if you go to 2 Samuel chapter 5, I just want to show you this. You, you, you understand the context of, of why Ziba makes it a point to tell David that, that this man that's left in this household is, is, is a lame man, is a crippled man. In 2 Samuel chapter 5, uh, verse 6, it says this, And the king and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, who said to David, You're not welcome here. In here, but the blind and the lame will ward you off, thinking David cannot come in here. <clears throat> Nevertheless, verse 7 David took the stronghold of Zion, that is the city of David. And David said on that day, Whoever strikes the Jebusites, let him gather up the water shaft to attack the lame and the blind who are hated by David's soul. Therefore, it is said, The blind and the lame shall not come into the house. David had said, Well, no matter how you want to take the context of his words, the fact is that David has declared the blind and the lame, the the broken are not welcomed into my house. They're hated by my soul. And so Ziba says, yes, there's there's someone that's left, uh, Mephibosheth, but, but king, he's crippled. You don't want to mess with that. Don't nobody got time for that, king. And David says, where is he? He's in the house of Machir, the son of Amuel in Lodabar. And King David sent and brought him from the house of Machir, the son of Amuel at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 4 is where you, you see the experience that Mephibosheth went through in order to experience the crippling in his body. For it tells us that, that, that when, when Jonathan, when news came that Jonathan had died, that King Saul was dead, that, that the, the lineage of, of, uh, of Saul's household was to, to be extinguished, a nurse came and picked him up and, and tried to flee with the young man. But as they were fleeing, she drops him. And he becomes lame. He's five years old. Five years old. Ten years have passed of him remembering how he became lame in his feet. It was because David became king. It was because my father was killed that I became lame. So all these years, ten years, all that he's put into his, into his mind and his heart concerning King David is that this is the man that has made this condition come to be in my life. Ten years have passed and all he's thought is, is I, I, I have to fear for my life. The reason why I'm in Lodabar, the reason why I'm in seclusion, I'm in hiding is because King David is against me. King David is, 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 is after me. I wonder how many times he heard it said to him that if you ever hear the king's men coming, make sure you take cover. I wonder how many times he, he heard it that, that, that King David is, is, is the one who's responsible for your family no longer being around. How does a five-year-old, seven-year-old, 10-year-old, 15-year-old process 
this experience? How do they work out their issues of justice and injustice that has been brought to their home? I'm sure that Mephibosheth had issues with David. And that day when he heard the horses come, when he heard the king's men come into the door, and, and, and he heard that, that King David has, has pursued you and wants you, I'm sure Mephibosheth was thinking to himself, this is it. The day of reckoning has finally come. My, my life is over. He's going to complete the job that he started 10 years earlier. So the text tells us that Mephibosheth gets into the king's court and he falls on his face and he says, Behold, I am your servant. And David says, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan, and I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. There are four things I want you to see concerning Mephibosheth. Then about seven things I want you to see concerning David. Number one, Mephibosheth was born to a rejected family. He was born to a rejected family. God, had, the spirit of God had departed from Saul and there was a new king that had been installed. Saul's line had been rejected, cast off. The very same way that Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 through 5 and Romans chapter 5, 12 tells us that you and I were born and shaped in iniquity, in transgressions. We did not seek after God, but rather we walked in our own ways and therefore were separated. Born into the lineage of Adam who, who chose death rather than life in God. Mephibosheth, just like us, was born into a rejected family. Second thing is, is this, that he experienced a fall. Bible tells us that, that mankind is fallen, that we, we are broken in our nature. It wasn't a decision that we made in order to, to come into this fall, to be broken, to be messed up, to be jacked up. We didn't choose that, but rather it was a decision that someone else made that brought this calamity upon us. born into a rejected family, experienced a fall, walking in unrighteousness, as Ephesians chapter 2 tells us, unable to live out a life walked out in righteousness because of the fall. Number three, Mephibosheth was missing God's best. Text tells us that he was found in Lodabar, away from Green pastures, away from blessing, uh, living in this condition of, of dryness. How, how many of you have been in a place where, where you, you, you thought that this was all there was to life? This was all that you were going to get out of life? But, but when you measured it up against what God had for you, you realized that this place where you were was not where you're supposed to be. Ten years have passed and all Mephibosheth has experienced is a place of dryness. Living in a place of dryness. Here's the thing about when you live in a place of dryness is that sometimes you develop an economy that, that supports dry living. It becomes usual and common and ordinary and, and the norm for you to live a certain way, but it's not what God intended for you. And fourth, 
he was forgotten. Were it not for, for, for David calling out for him, we would have never heard of Mephibosheth. Were it not for David seeking out for him, we would have never known that there was a Mephibosheth that existed just like us. Were it not for God doing something, starting something, initiating his love towards us, we would be forgotten people. We would not be counted. You and I were dropped, broken, made crippled through sin the same way that Mephibosheth was broken born in a rejected family, living in an economy of dryness, missing out on God's best, about to be forgotten. Then there's seven things I want you to see concerning David. First thing is this, that David makes the first move. David makes the first move. The text says that David is the one who initiates. David is the one who remembers the covenant. And he says, is there someone that's still left in Saul's household? Is there someone that I can show kindness to? It it doesn't say that Mephibosheth sends a delegation to go meet up with David and say, listen, I'm part of Jonathan's uh, household and, and, and I heard there was a covenant you made with him. Mephibosheth doesn't do that, but rather the initiation and the beginning of the entire experience of grace and kindness is something that is initiated and started by David. Sort of like how Philippians 1 verse 6 tells us that he who began a good work is faithful. God is the initiator. God is the one who begins the work of grace. David makes the first move and sends from Mephibosheth. The second thing that we see about David is, is that David acted out, of, for, acted out of love for Jonathan's sake. It, it wasn't because Mephibosheth had done anything right. It wasn't because Mephibosheth had had any merit to his name or, or anything to bring to the table, but rather the entire initiation of, 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 of David sending out for Mephibosheth came out of a covenant that he had made with Jonathan. The same way that, that, that the reason why you and I can experience God's love is because for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It is because of Christ. It is because of a decision that the Godhead makes within himself that, that these people will never ascend to me. These people will never come to me. Uh, Ephesians, uh, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 3 verse 12 tells us that there are none that seek after God. But God seeks after us. He reaches out to us. He calls out to us for his namesake because of his own reputation, because of his own promise, not a promise or a contract or a covenant that we initiate towards him. Third thing I want you to see is, is that David acted out of kindness. It's, it's very easy if, uh, for us to, to see the, the, the throne of someone who's in charge or an authoritative figure like David to have a throne that is a throne of judgment and a throne of justice. But what we see about David's throne is that it was a throne of grace. It was a throne of grace. If, if, if Mephibosheth had come up to David and said, I demand justice for what has happened, what would have happened to Mephibosheth is that he would have, con- he would have been cut off. But rather, David's throne is a throne of grace that invites the forgotten one 
that invites the lost one, invites the crippled one to come and experience the loving kindness of the Lord. Fourth thing that we see concerning David is that David called him personally. David called Mephibosheth personally. It wasn't the servants. It wasn't the court of, 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 of uh, priests and, and other advisors that, that made this decision to, to send out for Mephibosheth, but rather David himself says, I want Mephibosheth to come here. And when Mephibosheth comes into the presence of, of David, David himself calls him out by name. and says, Mephibosheth, a name that means devastated shame. A name that means destroyed, completely, utter, utterly ended. And in shame is called out by the king to experience grace and honor. David calls out Mephibosheth by name. The very same way that he calls you and I out by name. You see, like in, in the Old Testament, what, what would take place is that God would, was dealing with the nation, but now that we are under a new covenant, God is dealing with us personally. He now is calling you personally. The way that you are here is because he sought you out personally. His loving kindness was marked on your life personally. He knew your name. Psalm 139 says that before you were even a thought in your parents' mind, before you were in in your mother's womb, before any of those things had taken place, God knew who you were. And he was calling for you, seeking you out. Another thing that we see about David is is that David uh, spoke peace to him. David spoke peace to him. Verse 7, it says, And David said to him, Do not fear, for I'll show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. And I'll restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. David spoke peace to him. Imagine what's going on in Mephibosheth's mind. I'm now here in the presence of of David, the king, the most powerful man in the entire nation. I should be cut off. What takes place whenever a a new king has has entered into uh, the nation and taken possession of the throne is that any descendants of any adversary or any other so-called royal blood blood is cut off. And so Mephibosheth is thinking to himself, this is it. I am condemned. But David says to him, there's no more condemnation. There's no more condemnation. Do not fear. This throne, this experience that you're experiencing in my throne room is not an experience of judgment. It is an experience of grace. Just like in our lives, when we approach the throne of grace, God tells us in Romans chapter, chapter 8, there is now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ. Sixth thing that we see is that David provided for him. He tells them that, that you will eat at my table always. He calls Ziba and says, listen, all your, your sons and your servants are going to serve this man. And, and, and the writer of, of this book makes it clear to tell us that, that Ziba had so many sons and so many servants. All those people now, their entire life, their entire purpose was to serve the well-being of Mephibosheth. When we've been brought into the courts of our King Jesus, 
He makes promise to provide for us. He makes promise to take care of us. Our inheritance is an eternal inheritance in the courts of our king. Amen? We have that inheritance. And probably the most powerful thing is that when when, when Mephibosheth came in, he thought to himself, if I could only be a servant, if I can only be a slave, if I, if I, can, if, if I can earn my keep in, in, in David's kingdom, I, I'll serve you. I'll, I'll do whatever it is necessary to, to keep you in, 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 in your good graces and, and to serve you. If only I can do that, will you, will you spare my life? I'm pretty sure that's what's going on in his mind. The same way that the prodigal son says, if I can only go to my father's house and, and serve him and be a slave, at least as a slave, I'll live better than, than how I'm living in, in the pigs or, or in Lodabar, if I can only be a, a servant. But David says, you're going to eat at my table. You're going to eat at my table. The text tells us that Mephibosheth ate at David's table as one of his sons. As one of his sons. The personal call that God has made on our life The fact that he has called us by name, the fact that he has initiated everything, the fact that his throne is now a throne of grace for those of us who place hope and faith and belief in him does not bring us into a relationship where he is our master only and we are his slaves. But Jesus says, no longer do I call you slaves, but I call you my friend. Galatians tells us that that the the reason why the Son of Man came in the fullness of time, when Jesus Christ came, he came to us so that we could become children of God for the adoption as children of God. 1 John tells us, Behold what manner of love the Father has shown unto us that we should be called the sons and daughters of God. Mephibosheth came with the understanding that he was a servant, but David receives him as a son. Receives his household as sons of David. You and I are received into God's kingdom, not as slaves or servants, but as sons. With Jesus Christ, our elder brother. Amen? How did you get here? How did you arrive? For Mephibosheth, the testimony is, I was carried here. I was carried because of a covenant that that David made with somebody, with my father, Jonathan. I was carried here by, by, by the king's men who were sent for me to bring me into this place. They brought me here. I didn't bring myself here. I couldn't walk my, myself to the, to the throne room. But I was carried here. I was brought here. I, I believe that revival in our, in our hearts and our spirit takes place when we realize that we got here because God brought us here. We didn't bring anything to the table, but he brought us to his table, not because of a decision that we made, but because of a decision of grace that he makes. We are carried here, swept away by grace, revived 
by this reminder that, that we've been carried here. Revival takes place in our heart when we recognize, when we come to the awakening of how we got here, when we become undone by his grace, overwhelmed by his display of mercy, moved by understanding that it wasn't, it wasn't me, it was all him. This realization is a realization that would spur us into realizing that there are many others in our lives, at our workplaces, at our schools, down the street, on the street that you live on, who are living in Lodabar, who are crippled by sin. But when you and I sit at the table, we're in the courts of the king. And he calls us to, re, to remember how we got there so we can reach back and say, let me carry you to the king. He has loving kindness to show you. He has grace to show you. He wants to bless you. He wants you to move from being in a place where there's no nourishment into a place where you can eat at his table. So this morning, my, my plea to you is to remember how you got here, how God brought you here. Where did he find you? How did he find you? Where were you when his grace touched your life? Let us pray. Lord, I, I thank you so much for your mercy, for your grace, for your loving kindness that moves us to express compassion based on the compassion you express towards us. That moves us to, to action because of your actions of love towards us. May we be a people who don't treat our relationship with you as common and ordinary. But may we always be reminded of the extraordinary love and kindness that you showed us. And may that be our fuel to reach out to others, to love on others. Lord, as we remember your sacrifice through the communion, through the juice that represents your blood that was spilled, through the bread that represents your body that was given. May we, may we remember your covenant. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. For more information, visit Relevant316.com. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter. 
We hope you have a wonderful day and God bless.